Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, dear family. Good morning, beloved. How are you? You're well, I pray. God is in control. He's on his throne. It doesn't seem that way to us, but as I've said before, it didn't seem that God was on his throne when his son was on the cross. God knows what he's doing. There's no evil that exists that he does not permit. And if he permits it, he permits it for a greater good. Um... All the church fathers have said that. Even um, the exalted at Easter says, Oh, happy fault that um, brought to us so great a Redeemer. Um, And St. Augustine and St. Ambrose have said that God allows evil only because he purposes to bring from it an even greater good than if the evil hadn't existed. So... What we need to be doing at this time is gathering our families and studying faith and preparing to be a bit independent concerning food and electricity or whatever it's going to take to cook and all of that. I do believe that. We are preparing here ways of cooking without electricity um, and having plenty of water and rice and beans and that sort of thing. So we pray that you're doing the same and really, um, we, the, the faithful has, have always lived the faith through every trial for 2,000 years. And it's when we are in trial that we really begin to live our faith, which we should be living all year. So we're studying the Bible together through a book called This is the Faith by Canon Francis Ripley. And we've started a little new uh, format that you are welcome to call in any time during this hour with anything on your heart. It can certainly be questions on what we're speaking about, but it does not have to be. Uh, the heart of the matter is still the matter of your heart. The toll-free number to call is one 511 5483 The email is mother at Okay, Um, we are going to continue where we were, which is uh, saying that the Bible is the Word of God. And Francis Ripley says, Canon Ripley says, when we say that the Bible is the very Word of God, we do not mean that he, God himself, actually wrote it with pen and paper. We mean that he inspired the different human authors to write the different books contained in the Bible and to write just what he wished those books to contain. God is the principal author because he inspired the human writer. The word inspired means God breathed. He breathed into and through the human writers in all that they wrote. He didn't bypass the personalities and education in different styles, but he superintended, is the word then, as they, as they wrote. Everything in the Bible is infallibly true. Minor errors, of course, Canon says, should 
uh, could rather and did occur in later copies and translations, but these have not affected the substantial content of Scripture when made with the authority of the church, and they are easily corrected by the comparative study of documents. Dear ones, um, I recommend that you do not get a paraphrase of the Bible. The Living Bible is a paraphrase. Uh, The New English Bible, these are paraphrases, and they can be very good in helping children and those who are unstudied to understand the Word of God. But I suggest that we get the very Word of God. We don't go around it. There'll be no questions, is this right or not? And what we read here is the Revised Standard Version Catholic Bible that's published by Ignatius Press. And it would need to be the Catholic version because the Protestant version of the Revived Standard Bible is missing uh, seven plus books in the Old Testament, which Martin Luther singularly took out after 1,500 years. Uh, But the Catholic Church did not take them out. And when our Lord read from the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint contained all those books and the Catholic Church contains them to this day. Our next subtitle is Facts About the Bible. The Bible is a gift, a gift God wished to men, wished men to have. The human authors of the various biblical books were actual living men of a most fascinating variety of character. Matthew was a civil servant. Mark, Peter's secretary. Peter himself, formerly a fisherman. Paul, a former Pharisee. And his secretary, Luke, a physician. John, the son of thunder, yet the beloved disciple. Job, King David, etc. The Bible contains an account of God's relations with men and tells us much about what we would otherwise be ignorant of. The Old Testament explains how men came to need a Savior and how God prepared the world for his coming. I want to add to that, that God gave several hundred commandments in the Old Testament, and the Jewish people knew they were holy and righteous and good as God. They reflected a God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who was holy and righteous and good. But the Jewish people said, but we can't keep them. And instead of crying out to God to say, we can't keep them, Lord, we know they're perfect, we know they're holy, we know they're good, we know there's no other way to salvation but obedience. However, we can't do it. That's what God wanted, to say, for them to cry out and say, we need help, we need a Savior, we need a Redeemer, we need someone to do what we can't do or to forgive us from it. But instead, they made up their own laws that they could keep, and of course, that would never get them to heaven. The New Testament tells us of the Savior's coming, the completion of his work, and the founding of a church to make available to men all he had won for them. In the New Testament, we have an intimate picture of Christ, drawn by those who knew him and loved him best. Apart from this, we know little of his life. Therefore, as St. Jerome says, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. Now, there's different texts and versions of the Bible. The official text of the Bible used by the Catholic Church is known as the Latin Vulgate. The word Vulgate merely means the accepted current 
or common version. The Vulgate was translated into Latin by St. Jerome in the 4th century and completed his work about 405. He was the greatest scripture scholar of his day, and when Pope St. Damascus, um, Damascus, uh, who lived uh, 366, or was Pope from 366 to 384, asked St. Jerome to translate the Bible. He used for the work all the best Hebrew and Greek manuscripts that were then available, many of which have since been lost to history. The English Douay Rheims version and the new version by Monsignor Ronald Knox are translations directly from the Vulgate. The Westminster Version, now this is last century when Canon Ripley wrote this uh, is the faith. The Westminster Version, on the other hand, is translated from the original Hebrew or Greek. In the Catholic Bible, the Old Testament is based on the Septuagint, the very version that our Lord had. It's a Greek version made by 70. The word for 70 in Greek is Septuaginta. We are now in the liturgical year in the week of Septuagesima, which is seven weeks from Easter. Um, And we begin a minor fast and penance now, seven weeks to prepare for Easter. And the Old Testament, based on the Septuagint, that's the Greek version, um, Septuaginta, because it's made by 70 translators at Alexandria for the Jews, who mostly spoke Greek in our Lord's day. It was begun about 280 years before Christ and was completed in the next century. All Jews acknowledged it to be authentic, and it was used by Christ and the apostles. Remember when Jesus came, dear ones, there was no New Testament. Nothing had been written yet. So every time the New Testament refers to Scripture, it refers to the Old Testament, which was, since there was no New Testament, it was not called the Old Testament. It was just the Septuagint in Greek, um, in uh, Hebrew, the Tanakh. The Torah is the first five books. It means law. Um which in Greek is Pentateuch, five, and um, the rest of the Old Testament together is the Tanakh, uh, or the, again, in Greek, Septuagint. All the Jews acknowledged it to be authentic, and it was used by Christ and the apostles. 300 of the 350 quotations from the Old Testament found in the New Testament are taken directly from the Greek Septuagint. There are 73 books in the Catholic Bible, 46 in the Old Testament, and 26 in the New. Through anti-Catholic prejudice, the early Protestants repudiated the Septuagint and thus omitted from their translation the books of Tobias, Judith, Wisdom, Ecclesiasticus, and Baruch, and later 1st and 2nd Maccabees plus sections of Esther and Daniel. I tell you, beloved, it's such a tragedy. I read the Bible through the Protestant version every year of my 18 years of being an evangelical. And when I came into the Catholic Church and discovered these beautiful seven-plus books, I was in heaven. They are so magnificent and equally the Word of God. 
There's the music for our first break, beloved. And I'll remind you that you don't have to wait for the second break anymore to call in with whatever's on your heart. The toll-free number is one 5483 or email at mother at Prayer in time of affliction. Blessed, O Lord, be thy name forever. Who has permitted this affliction to come upon us? We cannot escape it, but must of necessity fly to thee to help us and turn it to our good. Lord, we are now in affliction. Our souls are ill at ease, for we are much troubled with this present suffering. Let it please thee, O Lord, to deliver us, for poor wretches that we are. What can we do without thee? Thy mighty hand can do all things. Give us patience, O Lord, and strength and peace. Help us, O God, and we will not fear, no matter how grievously we may be afflicted. O Lord, thy will be done. Welcome be the will of God. Sacred Heart of Jesus, we place our trust in Thee. Amen. Hey, Jim Havens here. I'm host of The Simple Truth, which airs every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. The focus of the show is authentically receiving, living, and handing on the simple truth of Jesus and his Catholic Church in a down-to-earth, no-nonsense manner. The guests are phenomenal, and each weekday has its own theme, always encouraging us to take the next step in our faith wherever we may be. It's The Simple Truth, every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. This is Bishop Joseph Strickland of the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. I'd like to invite you to join me Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. for the Bishop Strickland Hour on the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. We will be exploring the basic teachings of our faith and how to explain them to our family and friends. That's the Bishop Strickland Hour from the Virgin Most Powerful Studio each Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern. Thank you and God bless. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, dear ones, to Mother Miriam Live. We are reading from This is the Faith by Canon Francis Ripley. And um, we uh, invite you from now on to call in any time uh, during the entire hour. We don't have to wait for the second half hour any longer. Um, we can call in. We could take calls the entire hour at the toll-free number of one 511 5483 and you can always email at mother at the station of the cross dot com um, and again it can be what we're speaking about but it does not have to be um, we're talking about the infallibility and the authenticity of the bible and the fact that there's 73 books in the catholic bible the bible that our lord gave 46 in the old testament and 27 in the new and uh, Canon Ripley goes on to say, our last paragraph that we read just before the break, through anti-Catholic prejudice, the early Protestants repudi- repudiated the Septuagint and thus omitted from their translation the books of Tobias, 
Judith, Wisdom, Ecclesiasticus, and Baruch, and later, First and Second Maccabees, and sections of Esther and Daniel. And I mentioned just before the break that I read the Protestant Bible through every year, um, and when I became Catholic, uh, I discovered a treasure in these seven plus books that uh, that was ours all the time, and we were robbed of. Martin Luther single handedly took those books out after fifteen hundred years um, of the uh, establishment of the church, and uh, would have taken out a few books, including James and Peter and others of the New Testament, uh, but his people told him to put them back. Um, um, that is why the books, these seven plus books are not in the Protestant version because uh, we have the version that Martin Luther truncated. But the early Christians with Christ and his apostles certainly accepted these books, frequently quoting and alluding to them in their writings. All we need to know is that they were part of the Septuagint, which our Lord Jesus uh, had and all the quotations in the New Testament of the Old are from the Greek Septuagint. Um, but the Bible, unlike Protestant thinking, is not um, the only rule of faith. And I say that because, again, I was an evangelical for 18 years, um, believing and teaching that the Bible is our only source of truth and authority. Um, uh, of ultimate truth and authority. It's the only authority. Um, but the Bible doesn't say that it's the only authority. It talks about uh, it being authoritative. But even when it refers to the authoritative word of God, um, it's still referring only to the Old Testament, not to the New, because the New wasn't written yet. And the New, um, the canon of Scripture for the New Testament was put together in the 4th and 5th centuries by Catholic bishops and popes. So um, the full Bible is what Jesus had. Um, there must be because the Bible is not the only rule of faith. Number one, the Bible doesn't say so, um, and there'd have to be some external authority to um, verify that. So um, uh, there must be some, Canon Francis says, there must be some external authority to decide which books are part of the inspired Bible and which are not. The Bible itself does not say it is only through the infallible authority of the Catholic Church that men today know for certain the contents of the Bible. I remember a Protestant pastor who I greatly admired, R.C. Sproul, when he was teaching about the Catholic faith, which he believes was false. He discussed the canon of the Bible and how it was developed and that the Catholic Church believes it has the, the full uh, complete authoritative canon of scripture, but that the Protestants do not believe that. They do not believe that. They believe they have an infallible canon in that every book included is, uh, that they have a fallible canon. Every book included is infallible, but they're not sure that they have every book uh, that was um, that was truly given as authoritative scripture. And uh, uh, my pastor used to teach that the book of Revelation, um, St. John wrote, that if anyone adds to the words of this book, let him be accursed. And therefore, if anyone adds, he translated that to the whole Bible, let him be anathema. But the fact is, when the book of Revelation was um, um, 
written, uh, the Bible wasn't there. There was no canon of Scripture. And so that refers to the book of Revelation, not, not to the whole canon of Scripture. Um, so, um, 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 the church has provided a correct and complete canon, says, complete version of the Scriptures, and forbids Catholics to use the Protestant Bible. Because, number one, you're, I mean, you're not going to have the full revelation of God. Um, and you're not going to be under the full authority of the church our Lord established. We have Gordon from Iowa on the line. Hi, Gordon. Are you there, Gordon? Okay, we'll go on with the reading. Um, it doesn't can seem that Gordon... Me? I can hear you now. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me, can you hear me, yes. Gordon? Yes. Okay. Can you so, hear me? I can hear you now, dear one. Yes. Oh, first of all, I want to apologize deeply for my misinterpretation uh, of Mary's message of Fatima when I said that I, it was, I guess, my own machinations in my mind that brought about the idea that when enough Catholics had performed the five first Saturdays devotion, oh. that the creation of Russia will be accomplished. But what she right. actually was when enough Catholics are living the message of Fatima as those eight priests at Hiroshima, Japan, on ground, a mile from ground zero who were unharmed. Mm -hmm. Yep. They said the reason they were unharmed was they were living the message of Fatima. And that consists of four things. Uh, the five first Saturdays devotion, wearing the brown scapular continuously, uh, praying the rosary daily, and doing penances and sacrifices daily for... And, but the most important thing is that all of these things be done in a spirit of reparation to our Blessed Virgin uh, Queen Mother Mary's Immaculate Heart for sins and offenses against her Immaculate Heart and against the Sacred Heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Gordon, I love you. I love every time you call in and make that absolutely clear. And I love your heart, and I know Our Lady does as well. You are her apostle. You are Our Lady's apostle, Gordon. Never stop uh, telling and preaching about that message. I appreciate your calling in with it again and your clarity, Gordon, uh, and your love for our Blessed Mother and her son's church. God bless you, my brother. May I say one more thing, Mother Marian? Surely, of course. Uh, it, the, it is laid out in Father John DeMarchi's book, This True Story of Fatima, uh, at uh, uh, the Fatima Center USA Incorporated. Good. In the Buffalo, True Story of Fatima. Good. Fatima Center USA Incorporated. By Father John DeMarchi. John DeMarchi. Okay. D-E-M-A-R-C-I? C-H-I. C-H-I, DeMarchi. Okay, Gordon, you're a gem. God bless you. Thank you, Mother Marion. Thank you for your call, dear one. Um, we have a call from David in New Hampshire. Hi, David. Hello, Mother Marion. How are you doing? Hi. I'm doing fine, thank you. Uh, do you have I a question? Yes, I do. Uh, if you're aware of the uh, 
the situation going on in the Diocese of Phoenix, Arizona, with that priest who's been uh, on, who's in trouble for using the improper uh, form for the baptismal rite. And Actually, how, I'm not. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's going on, and I, I assume he was he was a Novus Ordo uh, priest, and now that's getting a lot of people anxious because they. They think, yeah. what if my own baptism was invalid, too? Like, last night, my wife and I, we got into a heated argument because I was baptized as a baby in a Nova Soto parish. I have the baptismal certificate. There's a photographic evidence I was baptized. But in terms of knowing whether or not he used the proper form or an improper form, I don't know. And she, she argues that you don't know if your baptism was valid. So you, you should go get conditionally baptized. And I said, well, you don't have evidence that I, wa- I was improperly baptized. Uh, so it's like, uh, do I just try to call my that, that particular pastor who baptized me 28 years ago to ask him, whether or not I was baptized validly or, or what? I mean, oh, that, really, would make, really yeah, that would make us all go a little crazy. Um, most, you know, many, for many of us, the priests that baptize us are no longer alive. Um, and so unless you have any reason to be concerned, um, I, you know, if you look back to the priest who baptized you, I don't know if your parents are still alive or your godparents who might know that. Um, you could give them a call. They should know if any of them are still living, um, who the priest was or if you were baptized in the Trinitarian formula. Um, that, that should be something simple, but we shouldn't be paranoid about these things. It's just that when we find out that there's a particular priest who uh, was in error, then those people that he baptized should be rebaptized. Well, you're, if you're baptized, you don't have to be rebaptized, but conditionally baptized or baptized for the first time if he hasn't been using the Trinitarian formula. Um, Bishop um, Olmsted, uh, I'm thinking, is is on this situation. Yes. Uh, yes, he is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, my, both my godparents and my parents are still alive. Although I doubt they'd ever remember what happened at my baptism 28 years ago, and they're also well, the uh, the conduct over creed type. So essentially, their whole view of morality is as long as I'm a quote unquote good person. Uh, that's, that's too bad. Matters. Okay, I got it. Um, uh, well, do you know the priest? Would they know the priest if you have a baptismal certificate? His name should be on it. Yes, it is. He's actually a pastor now over in a in a different city. He's still he's still in active ministry, and it's just that my my wife and I we once attended a uh, a parish that's run by uh, of a Contus, and the of a Contus pastor there wanted to conditionally baptize me because he said that my my baptism wasn't valid according to him. Well, he he can't know that. I I would pay no attention to that. Uh, Hold on. Um, There's the music for our break. Can you hang on uh, till after the break? Yes, I can. Okay, that's good. And anyone else, you're welcome to call in during the break. Um, Toll free 1-877-511. 
5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. Uh, there's two things I want to mention to you after the break, David. So God bless you. Hold on a moment and we'll be right back. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed what happens when people set out to destroy the church? They don't destroy the church, but they manage to wreck everything else. G.K. Chesterton says men who begin to fight the church for the sake of freedom and humanity end up flinging away freedom and humanity if only they may fight the church. The secularists have not managed to destroy divine things, but they have destroyed secular things. Thanks to the war against the church, the world is a mess. We have more disorder, more distress, more discontent than ever before. And that's why we must defend the faith. By defending God's truth, we are defending all truth. By defending the church, we are saving the world. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org The Station of the Cross appreciates the generosity of our supporters. We are committed to keeping our donors' accounts up to date. If there have been changes made to your payment information, please call us so that we can update your account. 1-877-888-6279, extension 104. Or update your information online at thestationofthecross.com. Thank you for your generous support of Catholic Radio. Bring many more people closer to our Lord by letting them know about Catholic Radio. One of the simplest ways to promote Catholic Radio is by displaying a bumper magnet on your car. Order your free bumper magnets at thestationofthecross.com. We'd be happy to send bumper magnets for your listening area so that others can come to know the Lord. That's thestationofthecross.com. Thank you for sharing Catholic Radio on the road. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. We have David from New Hampshire on the line. David, before um, I say what I, I'd love to, to uh, suggest to you, um, I just want to compliment this Dale Alquist. I was listening to the break. Uh, Dale Alquist from uh, Chesterton.org or .com um, is outstanding, and his little minute uh, messages are truly, truly outstanding. Listen to every word. It's just wonderful. And it would make me go to Chesterton.org. Really wonderful. David, you there, yes? Yes, I am. Okay. I'm, I'm, let me tell you what I think, um, my own thoughts on how you should handle the situation with your wife. Um, it, no one needs to, out of the blue, question their baptism. Um, unless they come from a non-Catholic church or um, even a non-Protestant church. 
uh, it's rare that the Trinitarian formula is not used, uh, and if it's not, then it's not valid. Um, but the, the sorrow of what you've said is that you had a, a heated argument with your wife. Let me just say, dear one, a husband and wife should never have a heated argument. Because when people have a heated argument, it's a self-centered argument. It's what I think, what I think, what each one thinks. And they're fighting against each other, but they're not fighting for each other. The idea of a marriage relationship is to lay down your life for one another. And so um, if your wife is that strong about your being conditionally baptized or doing something to make sure you are baptized... um, if you stay on the issue of the validity of your baptism and all of that, and you're, you're arguing from a fact, then there's no love in that. There's no care in that. And it will turn into a heated argument. But if you say to yourself, my wife is really upset about this. How can I help her? How can I care for her? See what I mean? It, it makes a world of difference. So my suggestion would be, your parents are alive, but they wouldn't remember 28 years ago. The priest is still alive. What I would do is just say, um, try to get a hold of him. He's in another state. Give him a call. He may not even remember you and say, this is so-and-so. Um, you baptized me 28 years ago. I'm doing well. I'm Catholic. I'm married now. All is well. But there's a particular situation uh, that's come up in Arizona where there is a priest who was not baptizing people legitimately. And um, um, my wife is a little nervous because we don't have proof that I was baptized legitimately. We have proof of my baptism. Um, would you know, just ask the priest, would you know 28 years back if you would have baptized me or anyone you baptized then legitimately, meaning the Trinitarian formula, all was done well. If he says, oh, I can't remember that back, I would get conditionally baptized. There's no priest who wouldn't remember that. There's no priest who wouldn't know that he has always baptized validly, you see, always. So if he says, I don't remember what I did 28 years ago, but I do know that since I'm ordained, I have never had an invalid baptism. I've always used the correct uh, formula and words. And then that's enough. You just let your wife know that. Um, um, If she still, if she becomes paranoid about it, um, then I would just say, rather than it put a division between the two of you, you can do a conditional baptism. It's not the worst thing in the world. So um, I, would, I would accommodate your wife, but first I would call that priest and say, you know, back 28 years, um, do you think there might have been any shortcoming in any of your baptisms where it may not have been valid? And just tell him the reason the subject came up. That's what I would do, David. So you're putting your wife first. You're finding a way to love her and calm her fears, even if they're irrational. Right. It's, it's also, she converted to the faith from the Episcopal Church, and so she had to be conditionally baptized. So I I can see where she's trying to come from, and it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's kind of hard to, to hear that your baptism and then every other sacrament after that was invalid because of 
a certain legalism. And it's it, almost, it, 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 yeah, it's, but it's true, a certain legalism. Mm-hmm. It is true. But um, it's, it's not only hard, it's an, almost an impossible thing to hear. I remember when the church reversed their decision on Mormon baptism. For years they said it was valid, but it wasn't valid, and they finally came to that realization or determination a few years ago. It astounded me that they thought it was valid all those years. They don't believe in the Trinity. Um, and so they don't believe that Jesus Christ is God himself. So it's it, mm. really amazing. And there are cardinals bishops that had to be rebaptized, or rather baptized legitimately for the first time and gone through all the sacraments including their ordination it is amazing it's amazing but they did that so don't be threatened in any way um, serve your wife love her till death do you part and again if the priest doesn't give you a satisfactory answer or your wife is still nervous about it just I would accommodate her in love um, and for her sake, uh, get conditionally baptized, which is not an issue at all. And if right, you get mother, conditionally ba- if you get conditionally baptized, you don't. It's not a rebaptism. You don't have to have all the sacraments all over again. The only way you'd need that is if um, the priest doesn't remember if he ever would have baptized in error at that time. Right, Mother. I I got a game plan now, and I I really appreciate you taking the call. Oh, sure, David. God bless you, dear one. God bless you. Okay. We have a um, a comment from uh, Charlene on Facebook. Um, Charlene writes, Mother, I've been praying for a spiritual director, um, spiritual direction slash director, but so far this prayer has not been answered. Is it possible that Jesus and Mother Mary are saying no to this prayer? Is this grace meant for all or only a few? I hate to ask my pastor because I know our priests are so busy these days. What should I do? I won't give up and continue praying. Do you have any suggestions? As always, thank you. God bless you always. Charlene, um, I don't think God is saying no. Um, I don't think our Blessed Mother is saying no. It's advisable for everyone to have a spiritual director. It's getting more difficult as the days go by um, to find good, solid priests, uh, even bishops who are truly solid in the faith and can be spiritual directors. But I would say keep looking for a spiritual director. Um, Don't judge the busyness of your priests. Ask them anyway. Um, ask the priest anyway. He might appreciate um, uh, having that time with you and giving you that that advice, that counsel, that oversight. So don't assume for it. You could say, Father, I know you're quite busy, but I do wish to have a spiritual director, and if you would have time, um, I would be very grateful. And normally, spiritual direction, you'd meet once a month. He might be able to take that on once a month for an hour. He may be able to take that on, or he may say to you, you know, I know a particular retired priest who might be able to help you, and that would be wonderful, or a deacon, or someone he could refer you to. Um, If not, um, there's a wonderful book by Father um, Thomas Dubay. He's no longer alive. Thomas Father Father Thomas Dubay, D-U-B-A-Y, and it's called Spiritual Direction. And it tells you how to find a spiritual director and what to do until you have a spiritual director. It's very, very good. And the other thing you could look up is the Avila, Avila Foundation, A-V-I-L-A, 
and a Dan Burke, Dan and Stephanie Burke, and they give spiritual direction online. It's very wonderful. So um, you've got those sources. Um, the the book on spiritual direction by Father Thomas Dubay and the Avila Foundation, which is um, uh, might even be called spiritualdirection.com. Um, and you'll get a tremendous amount of help from that. Thanks so much, Charlene. God bless you. Um, we have an email um, anonymously um, also concerned about the, um, uh, the subject of David's call. She said, I recently read about a priest in Arizona who resigned because he had incorrectly baptized people for nearly 20 years. Well, it uh, sounds like the same situation. He had been saying, we baptize you rather than I baptize you, and that was enough to nullify the ceremonies. That is correct. Have you ever heard of such a thing happening before? Yes, I have. Do you think a priest should have to step down for something like this, even if it were an honest mistake? Well, it's not an honest mistake. Um, there is no excuse for a priest not knowing the correct formula for baptism. We're talking about the salvation of souls. Um, it's extremely serious. Um, I, I think that it would depend upon the situation with the priest. If he thinks it's not a big deal, he needs to step down. If he fights it, he needs to step down. There's no question. He's not a faithful priest. Um, but it's not we, it's I. And he's speaking in the place of Christ. Um, and so uh, it's very serious. He needs to be corrected. If he is corrected and said, Oh, Father, I just slipped. I know better. And he... Uh, all of that, then um, uh, it's hard to even believe that he had been baptizing uh, people for 20 years uh, and been saying, I baptize you, and the the bishop didn't know, and people haven't spoken up. Um, That's not an honest mistake, not in 20 years, it's not. So um, I think that's very correct that someone who's doing that for 20 years, I think should step down. Um, if he's just begun as a new priest and he was not properly taught, or uh, which is also not an excuse because it's proper that we know our faith even as lay people. Uh, but after 20 years um, and now to trace everyone that he's baptized to be re-taptized, reconfirmed, all of that, um, no, I, I think I think he should... I can't say if he should lose his faculties. That's going to be up to his bishop, but that's extremely serious. Uh, Let's see now. We have an email from um, Vivian who writes, uh, Dear Mother Miriam, I very much love listening to your show. You are such a light in a world that gets a little darker by the day. Um, Even my husband, who is more so of the Catholic light variety, enjoys listening to you. Thanks so much, Vivian, and thanks to your husband. She says, as I was reading Monsignor Rossetti's book, which is Diary of an American Exorcist, it made me think about divination. I've been seeing my doctor for 26 years. I don't remember when he started using muscle testing, applied kinesiology, but he has been relying on that for many years now. 
<clears throat> the first time he muscle tested me, I asked him where or from whom he was getting these answers. He replied a little sarcastically, which is unusual for him. And he said, don't you know? Um, well, I tell you to begin with, um, uh, Vivian, I would have immediately challenged him and say, no, I don't know. What do you mean, don't I know? Where does this come from? I would have put uh, put him on the spot right then for a, a, an answer. But Vivian says, so basically my doctor will ask me questions. Apparently you still don't know from him. Basically my doctor will ask me questions about symptoms, how well I did with certain supplements, go over blood tests, etc. And then he will proceed to muscle test where certain uh, treat, whether certain treatments, medicines, and supplements are still beneficial or what may be better. The body will give him a yes, no, or neutral answer. My doctor is a chiropractor, a DO, and there are many chiropractors also who use that technique. Um, I'm going to stop there and continue this email, uh, Vivienne, over the break. Uh, um, When we come back from the break, beloved, uh, it will be our last segment. And again, you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart, toll free, 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. And we'll be right back. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for February 16th. Today we celebrate St. Gilbert of Sepringham. A life of luxury was within easy reach of today's saint. Born in 1083 to a wealthy family in Sepringham, England, but Gilbert chose another path and happily followed it for more than 100 years. Following studies abroad, Gilbert was ordained to the priesthood and served as parish priest at Sepringham. He lived simply, consumed little food, and spent a good portion of many nights in prayer. His congregation included a small number of young women who told him of their desire to live in religious life. A house was built for them adjacent to the church. Later, lay sisters and lay brothers were added to work the land. The religious order formed eventually became known as the Gilbertines, the only one of English origin founded during the Middle Ages. It came to an end when King Henry VIII suppressed all Catholic monasteries. Gilbert died in 1190 and was canonized only 13 years later. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. Many of you are familiar with Mother Miriam Live, but I wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the Station of the Cross, such as The Catholic Current. Father Robert McTague discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anytime to The Catholic Current as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app.
Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. We've got a good 10 minutes um, for you to call in yet, if you wish, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at the station of the Um We're reading um, a, an email from Vivian um, from uh, a question she has re- re- uh while reading Monsignor Rossetti's book, Diary of an American Exorcist, which made her think about divination. She's been going to a doctor for 26 years who practices applied kinesiology, and she's looking to see what it is. Um, She says, I also know, as my doctor taught me, how to muscle test myself, although I am not very accurate. He is. I know that great health is not our highest good, but holiness is. With that in mind, I don't want to participate in divination. If it is, if kinesiology is divination, um, or, or practice it if that's what I'm doing. My doctor is very sincere in trying to help heal his patients and also invites the Holy Spirit to come although his general beliefs are far from Christian. I try to evangelize him a little every time I see him. I found an article on the Internet regarding this subject that was written by a knowledgeable person, I think, and attached, um, and she's got it in this email. Um, I also looked at Catholic answers, but the person answering on this subject did not appear to know much about applied kinesiology. I very much hope you can shed some more light on this subject. Thank you very much, dear mother. Um, uh, Viviane, I haven't looked yet at the uh, URL, the website that you attached to your article, but I looked up uh, kinesiology, and it says, um, general, in general now, uh, while just the definition, even connected to New Age, while New Age muscle testing may or may not employ some of the methods of formal kinesiology, scientific kinesiology never employs the methods of New Age muscle testing. The two disciplines are based on an entirely different approach to physiology and health. Okay. Um, and that's uh, from Ankerberg in Whedon, W-E-I-D-O-N. Um, there apparently is an occult form of kinesiology, and it says it's developed by George Goodhart, who received most of his information by psychic means. Muscle testing, also known as applied kinesiology, is accomplished by, for example, pushing or pulling on the arm or finger muscle and so forth. Um, and um, talks about different vitamins and and all of that. Um, you can um, uh, and he it concludes that muscle testing is nothing more than Satan's repackaged form of divination in a more palatable fashion. It is simply using the body as a Ouija board. The scriptures strongly condemn the practice of divination. Um, this leaves me confused, Vivian. I don't know that. 
I think um, you need to get an answer from your doctor and remind him um, when um, you asked him the first time he muscle tested you where or from whom he was getting these answers and he replied sarcastically, don't you know? I think you need to go to him next time. I think you need to do a little research, look up kinesiology, apply kinesiology and new age or is it occultish? Is there a form of kinesiology that's fine? Um, you can. That's what I've done in reading these articles to you. Look that up. Um, but I, I, would, I would demand an answer from your doctor. A doctor, you've been treating me all these years. I've trusted you on this muscle testing. But you uh, replied a bit sarcastically when I asked you from whom you were getting these answers. And you said, don't you know? And I would like to know uh, your answer on that. I, I should have questioned you at the time because I'm uneasy about this. So if it is new age or he says he's getting it from spirits, um, especially since he does not have Christian beliefs, um, I don't know who the Holy Spirit is to him, but the Holy Spirit is not God to him um, if he is not a Christian. So I would, I would get, uh, require from him a, a true answer. And if he does not um, give that to you, I would cease going to him. Um, I would do that. Um, uh, unless, again, you can find that what this article said, if you just look up the definition of kinesiology, it says um, the real, true scientific kinesiology is not the occult, but then where would it come from? Again, it was developed by a man who was apparently into the occult. So you need to do some research on that. Um, We have a call from Ron in Syracuse, New York. Hi, Ron. Good morning, Mother. Good Thank morning, you, dear. Mother. Uh, mother, at, uh, at Mass, this particular priest, uh, an older priest, he when he's saying the consecration, instead of saying Jesus broke the bread and gave it to his apostles, he always says friends. And and they're in the, they're in the uh, precious blood and, and the, for the Eucharist as well. Is that a valid consecration, Mother? Well... He gave it to his apostles versus gave it to his friends. I don't know that that change in language, unfortunate change, would invalidate the consecration because it's not yet the consecration. When he says, do this in remembrance of me, and says the actual words of consecration, this is my body, this is my blood, are those utterly accurate? Yes. Those are accurate. Okay, then yeah. I was. Then I would say it. I would think I'm no canon lawyer or a judge, but I would think it's a valid consecration. Why would he even say friends for? Is this a new way of? I think it is. I think it's awful. I think you should not necessarily confront him, uh, challenge him, but I'd say, Father, the words of the Mass or gave it to his apostles, the words of the Scriptures, truth. Why do you change apostles to friends? Why do you do that? And let him give you an answer and say, Father, would there be any problem for you in going back to the words, gave it to his apostles and said? Because that's who he gave it to. He didn't give it to all his friends, the whole world. He gave it to his apostles because it was... Um, it was actually the first Mass. It was the Last Supper, which was the last Passover of the Old Covenant and the first of the New Covenant uh, in his blood. And to say, Father, he didn't give it to his friends. Um, he gave it to the apostles. Hopefully they were his friends. 
um, the one who wasn't his friend, Judas, had already left. But the point is, he gave it to his apostles. It's the institution of the Mass. It's the institution of the Holy Eucharist. And his friends were not allowed to confect the Mass, to consecrate. It's the fact of the apostles and those would be who would be successors of the apostles and ordained by the successors of the apostles, the bishops. So I'd make a good point of it. I don't think it would be invalid um, because they are not the words of consecration, but I think it's an important point that he should really um, um, conform to the church's words on that. Yeah, I I will. I'll I'll talk to him about it someday. But uh, Mother, yeah, it took a lot off my mind because I was wondering about that. But thank you so much, and I really appreciate everything you always try to do for us, Mother. Thank you, dear Ron. God bless you. Thanks for calling in. And um, I don't know, we have time for a another uh, email. Um, um, I'll tell you what, uh, very quickly, Teresa says, Mother Miriam, can you speak about the rapture? My friend's children brought her a video to watch. It was about the rapture, and they were so excited. I know that Catholics should not believe that, but can you expand on that? Thank you, Teresa. Um, The the Catholics have a sort of rapture, but that's not um, during the tribulation, uh, the the, the seven-year tribulation. Um, The scriptures speak of people being uh, caught up in the air. We'll speak about it next program, uh, Teresa, but there's a good book a good book for you to buy, Will Catholics Be Left Behind? Go to Catholic.com. I think you'll find it. Will Catholics Be Left Behind? God bless all of you, and we'll speak with you tomorrow.